Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Whether you're buying a new car or used one, it's a big investment, which is why you should choose Pennzoil Platinum. It helps extend the life of your engine and protect it up to 15 years or 500,000 miles, whichever comes first, guaranteed. That's because Pennzoil's base oil is made from natural gas and 99.5% free from engine-clogging impurities. The proof is in the Pennzoil. Enrollment required. Keep your receipts. Other conditions apply. See Pennzoil.com slash warranty for full details. Find it at Firestone Complete Auto Care.
Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. All right, it is film study. Once again, we're still looking back at the victory up in Buffalo. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? Uh, life is doing good down here. I understand there's some snow up in Maryland, and it was 87 degrees today when I was driving around in my car down in uh-huh. Florida. So, in the uh, forecast here. Yeah. So it's, it's the time of year where I'm starting to win the weather forecasts. You guys <laughs> beat me in fall. I much preferred the fall weather up there. But now I'm starting to win. So. There you go. All right. And then our guest today is Tim, uh, who is known as Edgar Allen on YouTube to a lot of other people. Tim, how you doing? I'm doing, doing well. All right. Could you uh, kind of, I know you, this isn't your first time on Film Study. Could you remind our listeners, because many have uh, jumped on the bandwagon as this Ravens team has gone and gotten better and better. More people are coming out of the woodwork as Raven fans and finding this show. So let's remind people of your background. Sure. Uh, I have a YouTube channel uh, called uh, – the title of the channel is Edgar Allen, A-L-L-E-N. Really, I just try to find sort of the minutia in the, uh, in the everyday, in the football uh, Ravens world and uh, look for those little kernels of uh, stuff that is sometimes overlooked in, in uh, Ravens football. Um, yeah, that's the basis. Basics. All right. It was great to have you back on, Tim. Uh, very, very excited about this. The last time you certainly have bring a wealth of offensive line and scheme knowledge, and we'll talk about some of that uh, today, I think, in, uh, in this episode. Offense had a terrible day, uh, a windy day in Buffalo. I say a terrible day. They punted seven times. They were a normal NFL team, only scored 24 points. <laughs> Uh, you know, if you're, I, one thing I have, a question I have for you, Tim, is how tied up are you in all of the record setting efforts that have gone along with this season? Like the fewest punts or the highest average points per drive? Yeah, I, I have to be honest. I turn that stuff off. I really just concentrate fully on, uh, the Super Bowl. I re- I, I think around Houston, right around the Houston game, I thought we can do this. You know, that was the first time it occurred to me, we can do this. And any kind of thoughts I have about Lamar and the MVP and these kinds of things, I really just put them to the side. And I really want this team. I feel like this is the time. Uh, and for whatever that's worth, all those records and things, they'll just be all the more sweet, you know, if we're able somehow or another to pull out a Super Bowl uh, to go along with them. It is. It's all about the Super Bowl. Yeah, this a little later in our outline, but I just want to. I think we ought to talk about it right now, since we're we're got such a good segue. Is it could not be set up any better than it is right now. I mean, the the if you look at Devoa, uh, the Ravens are the most dominant team in the league by a wide margin now. Uh, they they in fact have one of the dominant Devoa teams of all time, and the next highest is right around thirty, which is not even particularly great 
for the second team at this point in the season, which happens to be the Saints right now, although there's a jockeying for position there with the Saints, the 49ers, and New England for the second-best team. And some of the other AFC teams, particularly Houston I'm looking at, just aren't very good at all to be division leaders at this point. Yeah, I'm. Uh, okay, we're, up, we're up there in the top three or four, just about anywhere you look. Um, I think there's some things we need to get I guess, fixed or adjusted, uh, I think. I mean, it's hard to say that when you're winning every single game. <laughs> but, but yeah, we're up there, and uh, there's no reason we can't go and win it this year. It does, make, it does make you, when you see the things that go wrong that have gone right all year long to get us to this point, you want to kind of figure out, well, wait a minute, how are we going to fix this uh-huh. even uh-huh. more? That's right. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we look back to that 2000 team. They had some things go wrong. They didn't score a touchdown for 20 straight quarters. And they got through that and still went two and three during that period. And, you know, they had other problems as well as, as the year moved on in terms of some injuries. But uh, they made it all work out. And this, they, this Ravens team, I'm, just, I'm not convinced they have the kind of offensive talent depth that if they were to have to lose Lamar for a period of time, they'd still be able to function offensively. Uh, I think, it, it, in fact, that's one of the big arguments for him being the MVP is that just his presence makes everyone else better. It's not his personal stats. His personal stats are great, but that's that's really not even his biggest contribution, I think. Or it's if it's if it's his biggest contribution, it's not by much. It's how much he makes everybody else better. And this is a fairly ordinary offensive roster, other than him. Yeah, he's everything. He's everything to this team, and it spreads to the defense uh, as well. There's no question. Uh, and just that, if we can talk about his leadership, I mean that that sort of leadership that he brings, that sort of natural uh, uh, charisma, uh, it trickles down. And it, it's funny how it's kind of uh, moving throughout the team, all all facets of the team, and these guys are drawn to him. But it's it's the same thing with poor. Uh, leadership. If you have a guy at the top, uh, a quarterback, let's say, who doesn't want to work, who doesn't want to show up, that trickles down. You get guys coming into the into the organization saying, "Oh, we can we, we can check out at five. That's a, that's that's an okay thing for us to do." Uh, and I think good good leadership uh, is going to going to trickle down uh, just the same as bad. And uh, I think that's a big thing with Lamar is just how how much he commits to this team. Uh, it's very very cool to see. It's a nice yeah. refreshing. I'm reminded of an old Bill James saying, which is the best leadership comes from the best players. So you'd rather have, there's two things you want to have. You don't want to have a bad leader, obviously, as you've mentioned, but you also don't want to have a bad player be a great leader and and have the team get upset if that bad player has to be benched or traded or, or released. So you don't you don't want those things to happen. You, you, you want really the best player to be a great leader, which is what the Ravens have right now, is just a fantastic thing. It's a, it's the uh, hitting the exacto on that in those terms. That's a great point. All right. Well, to speak of some other not great leaders around the NFL, Le'Veon Bell had an interesting Saturday night after he's ruled out for Sunday's Jets Dolphins game with the flu. He was hours later seen on Saturday night in New Jersey out bowling. Well, it's not very bright. To think you can go out and <laughs> do something that it also doesn't show a ton of respect for the uh, for the uh, organization or the job, 
you know, he had to realize somebody would spot him out there. Um, probably didn't care. Mm -hmm. Or your teammates. I mean, you know, you're the most of the Jets probably do not want to be making this trip to Baltimore to get beat up. All right. I mean, and there are some who are playing for jobs or playing for their NFL lives or this is important to me. Damn it. Those people are pissed off at Le'Veon Bell, obviously, on that same level. The only guy, you know, if there's a running back who's going to get a few more carries because Le'Veon Bell is out of there, he might be the only guy that's okay with it. Right. But the rest of the team is uh, is definitely not okay with it in terms of uh, of uh, seeing a, a key player who's eating up a large portion of the cap, uh, you know, basically eating on their dime and, and bowling on their dime in this case. <laughs> yeah. It'll be interesting to see if they dress him uh, Thursday, uh, if they play him or if they bench him, you know? Yeah. Well, they did come out and say that no discipline actions would be taken because he didn't violate any team rules. It was just a bad look. Interesting. I did not hear that. Appreciate that, Josh. All right. Well, let's get back to this game. So we've got things to talk about rather than look down at other players on other teams that we shouldn't really be caring about. Lamar Jackson in this game had his second consecutive kind of tough weather game, that wind in Buffalo. It's interesting because... Buffalo people want to talk about how great their defense played in this game. And if you're on Twitter or whatever, they want to say, oh, it was great. And the win is nothing. Nothing at all by Buffalo standards. They saw Josh Allen struggle with that win. Every ball was overthrown. Uh, you know, he, he couldn't basically do anything the entire game. But it, the win shouldn't have impacted Lamar Jackson at all because, hey, it's that's just normal Buffalo this time of year. No big deal. Yeah, I— I thought there was a lot of different play calling happening uh, uh, throughout the game to, to sort of account for the, the, the weather, perhaps, but also to, to just throw some new wrinkles in. There were three screens uh, successfully, you know, really, really nice uh, pickups on the three screens they ran. Uh, I thought something that was interesting in terms of, um, in terms of the, the, the Bills being able to stop, quote-unquote, stop Lamar – I did not see a single inside run called for Lamar. Everything was outside and could have missed one, but but nothing in terms of QB power uh, or follow inside the tackles. Um, in terms of throwing, there there was um, there was some interesting throws I, I saw. There was one where, and you, you tell me what you think about this because I thought he was he made some nice throws downfield. Or some close, had some close connections with uh, Andrews a couple times, uh, one to the back of the end zone from about the 20. Mm -hmm. uh, then, uh, of course, the, the one he threw up that was sort of a 50-50 that Andrews couldn't quite crum, come down with. But there was a, uh, a deep comeback to um, Roberts. Um, let's see, that was in third quarter, 11:26 mark. And uh, it looked to me like Roberts did, had a double move, uh, uh, one on the comeback, but then just kind of got flat, and the ball was right where he wanted. It was a deep comeback, and, uh, but the, the uh, defender gave the defender an opportunity to come up and knock that ball down. So I, I did see some throws, you know, that even in the wind uh, downfield that I thought were, were um, pretty nice, you know. Mm -hmm. weren't able to connect in either in any of those instances you know well he didn't have certainly as bad a game in terms of uh, completion percentage as he might have in these conditions but 
what really stirs up is his average yard air yards on his completions was 2.1 in this game, which is just remarkably short. And, uh, you know, let me make sure of that, too. I want to make sure I'm not misstating that. But, uh, you know, that's obviously not going to get the job done. Um, But it was a a direct realization that the only way – the Ravens felt that the Bills were going to win this game is if the, if the Ravens really let the Bills secondary get involved in this game in a meaningful way and get some turnovers. And I think that the, the um, very similar, in fact, to the way they played New England is they said, we're going to take your secondary out of the game. You see if you can stop us when we throw a whole lot of passes to the running backs, a whole lot of short passes. And, yeah, we'll play a little bit of play action over directly in the middle of the field. The Ravens did a little bit of that as well. Uh, but uh, but they didn't take any real chances. They didn't go out the, outside the numbers on a day like this. They didn't really go deep uh, on on many balls. Uh, I thought that they basically just decided that you know after a relatively short time that they were going to win this game on defense. And and it was pretty apparent from the early play in this game that they had an enormous advantage on defense from this first what three three and outs in a row. I think it's actually four. The whole first quarter was. They, they got one first down on first down, but they otherwise had four three and outs on the ensuing first downs. Yeah, I thought the um, th- there's some interesting things in terms of throwing the football. Just kind of I'm always, I find myself always um, at least watching this game, Ken, where where I thought, well, um, is this team going to be able to 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 go the distance if they can't get the ball downfield? Um, and there were factors in this game that you know the wind and the conditions in the secondary as you point out uh but i think there's a lot of throws that they are not making i think there's there, there's a danger of them sort of the ravens falling into this idea that they can just run the ball down people's throats and pretty much they have been able to do that uh but in this game there are a lot of uh instances where uh i'll take the the uh well, there's a lot of instances where um, they are 8, 10, 12 yards off on um, Marquise or uh, Hayden in particular. Uh, second and three, second and six, uh, first and 20, where there's they're 12 yards off. Mm-hmm. Uh, that play didn't turn out well, <laughs> that first and 20 play. But there needs to be some sight adjustments, I think, on those particular instances. And just if nothing else... Uh, this idea that we can throw the football. Uh, I haven't seen a slant in a while. Right. Uh, I think, too, a lot of the verticals that you see in this passing game are really just um, runoffs, runoffs to get the middle of the field clear. And I think at some point we're going to have to start taking shot. That's not the right way to put it. Getting the ball downfield, you know, mm-hmm. chunk plays. Not not committing to all full time to this um ball control, eat up the clock, eight, seven-minute drives, you know. Right. Well, I, I do think this was that was a concession in this game to the circumstances and to the Bills' secondary, which is by far the strongest part of their defense. Uh, it, 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 you know, the Ravens basically played without any deep safeties in this game, effectively. They, 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 they almost never kept a safety deep, and they, they, they had six pressures, one quarterback hit, and one sack in terms of pass rush events from their safeties in this game, which is telling you they're using them for other things. Uh, nobody really wanted to throw the ball deep in this game. The Ravens were able to, you know, get one play over the defense in this game. That was really the throw to, to uh, Hurst 
And that one was only caught about, what, maybe 15 yards from the line of scrimmage? So it was about 15 plus 46, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they really didn't try to, to go deep at all. And I think that we saw times already in this game where – uh, the high ball to Sneed that Sneed tipped back and was was then intercepted by Edmonds shows you just how dangerous things were. I thought that ball was going to be overthrown and picked off. It looked like the safety had a bead on it behind Sneed, but Sneed did you know knock it up instead of knocking it down, which was the wrong way. It didn't obviously didn't work out, and Edmonds came all the way back from the line of scrimmage. There's a lot of players on Buffalo who have some good athleticism to make interceptions like that, both that safety and that linebacker. Yeah. Uh, Edmonds was all the way up in the pass rush, obviously, doing that. I, I, I think that the Ravens just made some very conscious decisions in this game to, to take the ball out of the potential danger uh, between level two and level three and, and, and further and just really go on these a lot of these short passes. So we saw screens. We saw some some quick passes, some of them through traffic in, in, to, to get the touchdowns in the end zone. Obviously, that little... Jump past a boil was an interesting one, and the and the the pass in was between defenders to Sneed, and then the third where was the third touchdown? That was the long one to Hurst. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just it, it was a game where both sides were very much aware of their pass defense advantage with that wind, and both sides tried to use the to their advantage in different ways, and the Ravens ended up being the team that could do it a little better. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. I want to talk a little bit about play action in this game. Uh, you know, we're recording this. I have a, a, a friend who's doing it, Arthur Osaki. I want to give him a call out right now because he's been so good at this uh, all year to re- record a, a lot of characteristics about Lamar's play. I want to make sure that uh, that he hears his name on this on this podcast. But uh, there were four instances of turn your back play action. And that's been something that Lamar has been in and out with this year. Early in the season, we saw a lot of times where all of the turn-your-back play action, where he has to obviously then reacquire the field, oftentimes off a boot, uh, all of those those plays were basically happened during the scripted portion of the game. And that means during the during the first few plays of the game, sorry, the first 15 or so plays of the game, and then during the very first few plays of the second half again when they have a re-scripting, as far as I understand it. So if you look at those first three pass plays, you won't have to look long if you happen to be on game pass there and I see you're doing something. Uh, they were all scripted, turn your back play action plays, the first three passes. And then the first play of the second, first pass of the second half, the 61 yard pass to Hurst was also turn your back play action. And those were the four, four for 77 in this game. So it, it was fairly effective. Now, obviously it's a 61 yard pass, small sample size, yada, 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 yada. Nothing else really worked. They did eight forward-facing fakes where Lamar is doing something to fake a handoff while he's still looking at the defense head-on. Those only went for 33 yards, those eight plays. And they did 13 others with no fake that went for 35 yards. So, you know, they're getting four yards a play, three yards a play on these other things. But the only thing that really worked was the turn-your-back play action, which had, you know, four for 77, which is 19 and a quarter per play. I'd be interested to to go back and see what the uh, how the line's blocking and, and try to get a beat on what's being keyed the linebackers in particular. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about the linebackers coming up, um, and 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 uh, biting on the uh, play action a little bit, I'd be interesting to see how how they're keying the guard the uh, offensive line on that. Well, there's no doubt they really got very badly beat 
on the Hurst touchdown. That was broken coverage in terms of somehow. I, I'm not sure exactly how, but uh, frankly, if Hurst was going to run at a, at a speed of 20.5 miles per hour, and you've probably seen that from the Ravens, that there's the fastest speed uh, achieved, or maybe not, you're not a Twitter guy, achieved by any Raven this year. Well, he's kind of surprising. Yeah, he was blowing. You, he looked mm-hmm. like somebody had an angle on him, and he out, he was just rolling. You could tell it. Uh, what's interesting is they, on that play, had seven guys. Bills, The Bills had seven guys at the line of scrimmage, and they sent six. And they had sent six t- uh, earlier, twice. Uh, the first time they sacked Lamar. Uh, the second time they intercepted Lamar. And on both of those plays, there was an empty backfield. This play he had, uh, I think it was Ingram. I want to say it was Ingram in the backfield. Uh, and so they had seven guys at the line of scrimmage and ended up sending six. And only one linebacker, that linebacker, ended up having to go with Ingram on the play fake um, mm-hmm. to account for him. And he kind of went to that side. Um, and then Boyle kind of released. If you watch him, he releases late. He kind of holds that, that uh, DB, and he's not sure. He's not sure where to go, and uh, yeah, just blows that coverage, uh, and he's off to the races there. Mm-hmm. Is that number twenty-one? Is he the one who should have been in coverage in your opinion? I, yeah, it was twenty-one. Yep, yeah, it was. And and he's clearly five yards behind the play, and and uh, you know, I was I, I always like to watch body language at the end of the play and who's looking at who. Sure. Up. That, that's Micah Hyde, who's the free safety, and he's up close to the line of scrimmage, which is not usual for him, but it, it again shows you that they're. They're very much committing their safeties to the front, thinking the only place the Ravens are going to throw the ball is short. And uh, and on that play, we certainly had, you know, an instance where they were, where they were willing to take a take the top off the defense, so to speak, where, you know, Hurst is behind every defender at 15 yards. Yeah, and Lamar picked it up right away, and and he took a shot on that. The uh, the back got beat, you know, just got a little bit in the way, but uh, yeah, it was a nice it was a nice play, and it did put me in the mind of uh, the Andrews touchdown. Yeah, last year had had just just the same look about it. It's uh, you know the, the the difference were that there was better coverage obviously last year, and it was really a nicely dropped in the bucket pass to Andrews, and then Andrews of course made that wonderful stiff arm, and all of a sudden nobody's catching Andrews. He's way too fast for us. The field just kind of reminded me of how well Hurst was running on the play. Right, right. Uh, but uh, 68 yard play there, 61 here. But, uh, you know, I asked Maureen about that and she said, you know, if you're asking me what we had for dinner that night, I could tell you, but I can't remember that play. <laughs> <laughs> now, was it, was it early in the third? Were they were both early in the third quarter. Do you remember that? The, yes, that's, that's true. The, 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 the Chargers had just done something to, I think, take the lead. The Chargers had just gone ahead. That's right. And the Ravens regained the lead. Uh, on that play, they might have, they might have taken a ten to nine lead, maybe I want to say, and the Ravens scored the touchdown to go up sixteen ten, and then eventually won twenty two ten. Yeah, it was the first. I believe both were on the first drive of the third quarter. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, okay. Anything else about Lamar we want to talk about before we move on? Oh, uh, I thought he was really. Um, on point with those screens. You know what I mean? This this simple kind of screen, not just in how accurate he was with them or where he put the football, but um, the timing of them, the fakes in particular, in particular that first one. I think it was the first one where RG3 kind of does that orbit motion and they end up with three on the boundary. He turns his whole shoulder, Lamar does, fakes to that side, uh, just really, really does a nice job selling it. 
Um, yeah, that's a nice, nicely set up play and, and it's really well orchestrated. I was really impressed with that. Uh, but I thought all three of the screens were really well set up by him. Uh, and one thing he, he did, the, the little, the little um, flat pass to uh, Ingram, maybe late in, late in the second half, uh, third quarter, uh, he steps up in the pocket, kind of avoids a rush, kind of sidearms it at the last second to Ingram. Uh, that was a nice throw. Um, did you did you highlight one of his missed throws, Ken, uh, where he had uh, Hurst open deep? I did not. Uh, that was. Let's see if I can get the time on that. And and that's kind of what I was talking about. He, it was third and four. It was the play where uh, he hits a conversion. We converted the third down to Snead underneath, but uh, it's in the third quarter. I don't remember the time. But it's that play where we hit Snead to convert. And uh, 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 what's his name? Hurst. Hurst is wide open down the left sideline. Okay, it's third quarter, 10-32. And what happens is uh, these defenses are coming up and sitting on these underneath routes. And it's a nice throw. Um, but you see three bills come up and sit on that Hurst route. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, excuse me, on the Snead route, excuse me. And Hurst, uh, uh, the deep safety is held by um, Marquise, and Hurst would have scored again. That would have been his second long touchdown of the game. Um, so that that's something that's, and I think that's that's the idea of let's just move the ball, let's just possess the clock. If you see a first down open, uh, uh, Lamar, just hit it, just take it, just take it. And um, I, I wonder about that philosophy. You know, so so far it hasn't backfired. You know, we're winning. Um, but there, there, it seems to me there is a philosophy there that, that hey, you see the third down, get it. Um, and so he, he doesn't check, um, at least on that play. He just misses that, that deep shot. All right, so Tim, we're really excited to have you back on the show because we really want to talk about the offensive line again and what happened here. So 57 scored snaps as I had in this game. I'm going to go through, I'll, I'll give you my grading by player, and then you tell me what else you saw or, or uh, how else you might have graded it differently. Don't want to over-direct here in this case because, hey, we want your real uh, understanding of this. But uh, Roddy Stanley, we'll go with first. He allowed two pressures in the game. At first, I, I thought there might have been a third pressure on that on that opening drive, the last play of it, the third and eight. But it looked like uh, Lamar adjusted the pocket left. So when I, when I had the All-22 review, I took it off. Uh, still a, high, a, a B for um, for Stanley, probably a little bit less than we've been used to this year. But he's, he's on a run of A's and B's that uh, has been effective here. And uh, 10 blocks in level two for Stanley in this game. So in addition to doing a, a decent job on Jerry Hughes, who he had for most of the game on that uh, on that left side, he did a good job of getting out into level two. He's almost always on the back side of the run play. Poles are almost always going from left to right. So uh, he's he's having to put forth an effort with his legs to get into level two often to make a block. And uh, he's been very good at that. Uh, two pancakes in this game uh, for him. One highlight uh, that I'll, I've detailed in the article. But uh, what did you see from him? Uh, I thought he was pretty dominant, as he has been all year, in terms of pass protection. Um, you know, generally, he's an island-type guy, and that's really, really rare. You really trust him. I, I, I did think there was a couple things mentally where he was seemed like he was checked out to me. There, there, there was a... Um, uh, there was the issue, and I, I'm not sure what's been brought up of this, but there's been uh, some. Un- there were two times where a, a sixth guy at the line was left unchecked, and I don't know if that's on him or or the protection, but 
But there was one play in particular in the first quarter, uh, 3.16, where their, their Bozeman gets pulled, Ricard uh, gets motioned far to the right tackle side, uh, and he's going to kick. Uh, the play fake goes that way, and it's a called boot for Lamar to the other side. And um, Ronnie just turns and hinges and leaves that guy, I think it was Hughes, but he, he doesn't lay a glove on him. And you see, um, you see uh, that, that guy gets in the backfield and blows up the play, and, and we lose four yards on the play. And I watched it a couple times thinking, well, what's going on there? You know, how, how is that possible that he would do that? And after the play, you see he kind of Lamar comes over and hits him on the helmet. But um, that, was, that play stuck out to me. Like he just really uh, – that play cost us a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. he, I thought he had an exceptional uh, fourth quarter turn and seal block uh, on a second and nine run. Fourth quarter at 11:26, just beautiful, beautiful block on the edge. Mm -hmm. um, uh, he's he's does he look more athletic this year to you than he has? He looks yeah, he looks healthier this time of the year. I'd say he's got less leg problems. That hasn't been true the whole year, but you know he missed a lot of snaps last year. He missed a lot of play to, you know, basically injuries that he was a warrior. He, you know, he tried to work through them, but he just he ended up missing some snaps. He's probably, not, frankly, not going to play Thursday. Looks like we're going to see Hurst for Stanley uh, on that day. We'll get to him a little later. I did want the, the, the run left for minus four. It kind of bothered me, too, because there's two things are going on there. First of all, Lamar escaped the pocket left on that run, which immediately compromises his position. But Stanley would have been in a better position had he had his hands on use and been able to at least shove him or make it more difficult or get him off balance a little bit and help help uh, Lamar out. Now, my recollection of that play was there were other defenders involved there, too, who were hemming Lamar in that made it difficult on that side, that it wasn't just use. But uh, in any case, uh, he, he got a missed block from me on that play. Um, you're going you're gonna to highlight a play later, and I'm curious what you think um... – about the, the line on that. I'm anxious to hear your take on that. All right. Well, we'll I, I, I promise you we'll get to that. I kind of left it earlier, but, but, but I promise you we will get back to it. We'll do it after the offensive line, all right? Sure, sure. All right, so let's talk about Bozeman a little bit. And uh, uh, he, he's on a pretty decent run right now. I actually think he's been playing much better football the last four weeks in particular. You could even say going back to the Seattle game, he's been good. His, uh, his grades have been A, D, C, B, B, B plus B, I believe, it's, is the order of them in the last seven games. So uh, he's played well. And uh, these last four weeks, to, to be consistent at a B level is really, I think, showing some gelling of the line. I personally thought I was observing some difficulties between him and Stanley in terms of, I, I don't know if I would say communication, responsibility, expectations, whatever it might have been, but I think that Bozeman has become a much more active help blocker to his left than to his right. And the strange thing is, I think they often need more help to the right. Uh, certainly, you know, when Skura was there, that they, they often needed more help to the right. But uh, but Bozeman is a very active uh, in terms of his movement left to help Stanley on plays. Yeah, I I, um, I remember watching Bozeman in college thinking he was the least athletic guy. Mm -hmm. Just thinking how this guy's like cement feet. I'm really impressed with him <laughs> as a puller. And I think that's a big part of what they like about him. He's just very... Pretty consistent uh, leading power, 
and um, it's getting better and better uh, in terms of pass protection too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're less and less sort of seeing them on the ground. And there was a great, great example. If anyone wants to check it out, at 8:42 uh, of the first quarter, uh, when they actually the Ravens were tackle over with Stanley on on the outside on the right side there, and beautiful, beautiful uh, pull and uh, lead on power, beautiful um, kick by Ricard. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm just going through like nine yard run on that play on second and six. That the one. Yeah, that's the only run. unbalanced right early on. So that's got to be it. Yep. And he he had a pull for a pancake on that block as well as I have it scored here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. it was nice. All right. So Bozeman, this game, two pressures as I have it, uh, five blocks in level two, six out of eight on poles, two pancakes. I, I would mirror a lot of what you're saying about his mobility is just that it's been much better than we could have expected. And it really does come down to pass blocking at this point to see if he's going to make the grade as an NFL guard. And when you look back now, he hasn't had any portion of a sack allowed since he allowed three, one H in three straight games, ending with, I believe, the Pittsburgh game. So since then, he's been clean. I may even have it wrong. It may even be a, a game before then. But uh, but definitely had a good good clean run of pass rocking lately in terms of the biggest errors. You know, in this game, he had a penalty. But frankly, I gave him bonus points for it. I didn't charge him for the penalty for the uh, illegal touch because he knocked that ball down and it might have been intercepted. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, heady. Heady play. Good play. And uh, Okay. Uh, any case, uh, let's move on. We'll go to Macari. He's at Macari. He's the one everybody wants to hear about right now, uh, you know, given that he's new and whatnot. Had another decent game here. Macari is missing a lot of blocks, um, at least as I score them. He's, he's either getting shed or having other things happen. I'll get into the action verbs more in the article, but in 57 scored snaps, I had him for 48 blocks, seven missed, one and a half pressures, not too terrible in terms of the, the, the negative results. Uh, but it, it works out to be only a C and kind of the bottom end of a C at center. Uh, he did have two blocks in level two uh, and two highlight plays in this game. Uh, he also uh, had some trouble with some accurate accuracy in terms of shotgun snaps. So people who were at camp know that McCary took almost every seven-on-seven seven shotgun snap during training camp this year. It was a kind of a weird thing. I think they were trying to you know, see what he had, get accurate shotgun snaps. Uh, maybe Skur was having some difficulty with it. Skur's had a little bit of difficulty with that during the season in terms of accurate snaps. Uh, McCary had been very accurate, but, but the couple in this game may have been a wind problem, but they were wide of Lamar. One was bobbled, and, and, and they, they gave him troubles on the play. And it really t- shows you just how much a shotgun snap how important it is for that thing to be accurate, delivered where the quarterback expects it to be, so it doesn't distract him from his downfield attention. Yeah, the uh, the timing, too, not just the 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 act of him catching the snap, it's just when it's bobbled slightly, just not the what it does to the to the uh, timing of the play. Yeah, uh, or it can do. I I think when I look at McCary 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 I McCary. Um, I tend to compare him to other first-year players, and I think he holds up favorably. By that I mean I'm I'm uh, I have fairly high expectations of what he might become, and I'm seeing him pretty pretty confidently hold up one-on-one in pass protection. Um, I'm not sure I saw that much out of Skura last year, for example. Um, there's a nice combination and pancake block he gets 
second quarter, 251. Uh, I like right after that, he picks up a stunting blitzer. That's the pancake, actually. He's coming off the combo, and then he pancakes the blitzer. That's what it is. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm just really pleased so far that he's held up as well as he has. And um, just kind of in wait-and-see mode, I think, with him. Yeah, I agree. He plays with more power than Skura, has a little bit better anchor. He doesn't have the arm length that Skura has, which is giving him some problems with being shed by larger men on the inside. So that's the the action verb that I'm concerned about seeing with McCary is shed. If I see that a lot, then I know that longer arm players are getting the best of him inside. Mm -hmm. Uh, It won't be as big a deal when they're playing a bunch of guys like Ed Oliver, who are shorter but effective, or even Aaron Donald, who's shorter but effective as as a hands player on the inside. The problem is more... You know, with these six four six five guys who are McCary's height but have much larger, longer arms, so uh, that that can be an issue. Mm. Uh, the other thing, and I, this hasn't really come up yet that I've noticed it, is any defenders trying to use one arm against him. You know, the one arm is longer than two uh, philosophy. So that would really be in a pass rushing situation that that'd be more likely to show up, but. Uh, uh, I haven't really noticed that yet. So, uh, you know, good start for him. And, and uh, you know, we hope Skura is back and ready to go next year. Uh, it does really bring up a question of how they handle an extension for Skura at this point. Uh, and, and McCary's play the rest of the year may actually have something to do with that. So uh, we'll pay close attention. Sure. Is he, the, he's up then. Skura is up then this year. No, Skura is uh, entering year four. So my my question was, wouldn't this be a great time to have divisible benefit on a contract with Skura where he might take a little bit less than he would for, say, a four-year deal than waiting out the full length of time? You're obviously only going to pay him approximately $3 million for next year because that's the second-round tender number. But then after that, you negotiate and you say, well, is it going to be um, – you would normally get – if you were at the top of the market, you might get $9 million or $10 million in those years if you got a Ryan Jensen deal. We can you know, guarantee you, say – 27 million for the four-year contract if you'll deal now and you know with with all the things going on it might it might i think both sides could really benefit from it and the the ravens frankly have had a number of cautionary tales on their own roster to players really doing well by themselves to to tie up their security early like like tavon young you know, obviously, Owasso, they couldn't, I don't know if, how much they tried to get a deal, but they couldn't get a deal done. And now who knows what's going to happen with him. Right. And, uh, you know, it's just, I think it's always smart to get a deal done, deal done sooner if you're a player and maybe leave a little bit of the divisible benefit dollars on the table. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Uh, I, I, I hadn't thought of that. I, th- I And it wouldn't surprise me if they do with Skira. That seems like a player they would, would uh, try to lock up. All right, let's move on. Let's move on to the Marshall Yanda. Uh, didn't have his best game. Five missed blocks, half a penetration, half a pressure. Uh, still works out to be a B in my system. So he's doing a lot of things right. He he only pulled once in this game, and he gave up half of a penetration on the play. The Ravens uh, had a loss of one on that play. I think it's a loss of one. Where am I? There it is. Loss of six on the play. Uh, so that was uh, it was a mishandled snap. And I think it was the run by Hill that went left on that second drive and was really doomed from the start. But uh, but Yana had a part in that in that penetration on there. He pulled and he whiffed on uh, 90 Shaq Lawson. So uh, otherwise, uh, you know, a good game for Marshall. He continues on being A or a B pretty much every week. Uh, 
we can we have don't have much to talk about other than his Hall of Fame chances. It seems like on a regular basis. I think there is probably more evidence that Marshall is aging here this year than I've noticed at any time during the past five or six years uh, for him, and, and that would only be natural that that uh, you know at some point we'd start to see some evidence of aging. Uh, I sure hope he plays another year. Uh, I don't think it's a guarantee. He's he's under contract for another year, but I think the idea is that they're going to let him not play the last year of his contract at some points. So they might extend him for one more year and then have him play 2020, say. But then at some point, he's, he's going to probably not play the last year of that contract. Seems to be having a lot of fun, particularly with Jackson, yeah. uh, in that leadership role. Yeah, you do see him smiling a lot. You know, he does. You're, you're right. Absolutely seems like he's having fun uh, in this offense and with Lamar. Uh, he he had a great, great uh, moment in the game, I thought. It was on one of the screens where he got out in front of, uh, I think it was, it was the 17-yard one to Ingram. So it was in the third quarter, and he ended up, uh, couldn't get to the defender, so he pushed Macari into the defender, and, and then that defender went into another defender, and the run turned into 17 yards. It was a nice little, little moment for Yonda. All right. They did have, They had one screen pass where they got a couple of blocks out in front of it in level two, where the Ravens just been, they don't run that many screens, but when they do run screens, it seems like their, their linemen are either not used to it or exceptionally lungy, which is something I often see with linemen. I mean, the best thing you can generally do is keep your feet, run right at the defender, force him to at least run around you. But keep your feet so your block has some impact in those situations. And, you know, too often I see NFL linemen just basically they see that they're kind of, you know, beaten to the outside by a by a uh, corner, let's say. And they can't just kind of push him to a little wider bubble to get to that bulk area, which would be, you know, possibly very effective. But they have to, like, lunge at him. And, and you know, then they miss a lot of the time. So it's, uh, uh, you know, I, I just it always kind of bothers me when I see, you know, Linemen give up their feet in level two without good reason. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's talk about Orlando Brown, if we can. Orlando Brown had been on a great run here. Uh, had his first, you know, meh game in a while. And it wasn't a bad game, certainly. It's a, a game very consistent with his 2018 season. Got a C plus. Um, you know, had a mix of various uh, partial shares of things. Half a penetration, half a pressure. One quarterback hit that was entirely his. Half a sack. Um, two missed blocks. Uh, you know, it's, it's a it's a mix of things that ends up giving him a, a grade that's in the high C level. So, uh, you know, it's not bad by any means. He had six blocks in level two. I, that's more than he'd been showing in mobility in recent weeks. So I'm happy to see that. To have only two missed blocks at right tackle is really good, I always say. You know, two or less, maybe in three or less, because right tackles, uh, when the when the play is to the other side, it can be very difficult for them to find a way to contribute to a run play on the backside, which which I'll give them a zero for. Uh, and and for him to reduce his number of missed blocks under those circumstances is really good. Mm-hmm. I I was uh, I'm always uh, or this year I've been very pleasantly surprised that I hardly notice him. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, I hardly notice him. He's been very consistent. I think. Do Do you notice Ken? Uh, they ask him so much to down block. Uh-huh. Um. Do you notice sometimes where uh, an end will go free, where the tight end releases and nobody blocks the end? That's and, right. 
Yeah, and, and you wonder about that. You know, wonder about whether that should be there should be an adjustment there where where the end gets in the play. A standard the, read option. That's what yeah. they're doing there. So so basically, they're letting the. We, we talked about this last week, so we really want to go through the read option and talk about it. But they're letting that they're letting usually the best run defender on that side directly into the backfield. So Lamar has a chance to beat him one on one if that's his correct read. And then he he if he basically gets the ball and let's say it's Nick Bosa there on the right side trying to, to contain Lamar. If Lamar gets by him, there's no good run defender left out there. And, and not only that, Orlando Brown is sitting guarding the door basically for all the scraping linebacker action that come ac- can come across. That's typical anyway. You have a, a, a tight end usually at the line of scrimmage who can make a block in level two. You have another tight end in the backfield. It's often been Hayden Hurst who can make a block in level two or three. And you have a wide receiver on that side. So you have multiple options to get the lesser players blocked up and you've already eliminated their best run defender on that edge. So I love that play, and it really has made Brown's life in particular quite easy because he's got two things he has to do. He has, he has to, when he run blocks, he just lets that guy in. That's much easier than anything else he might have to do to try and stop him, obviously. But the other thing is when it's pass blocking, they have to be so careful about not letting Lamar escape the pocket that that, that right side edge defender from the offense's perspective is often trying to two-gap their way to the quarterback to basically make sure that Lamar doesn't get out either door. And when they have to do that, they're playing exactly to Brown's strength, which is the bull rush. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's going to be able to anchor against them. He's a, he's a monstrous man. It's like trying to push a boulder to, to you know, to get a successful uh, uh, bull rush against him. So I think he's really benefited. In fact, of all the offensive players, I think he might have benefited the most from who Lamar is. That's That's a good point. Yep. All right, James Hurst, two two out of two on his blocks in this game. It looks like he's going to get to get to play at left tackle uh, in this next game. Now we have not seen too much of Hurst uh, at left tackle. Luminor last year stepped in and did a pretty good job, I thought, very serviceable at that spot. Uh, Hurst saw action at Green Bay in 2017 and it was pretty awful in that game. You know, obviously we're stretching back more than a year now to to get to the last time he's played significantly at tackle. Uh, I'm concerned going into this game, I think would be the fair way to put it. Uh, we, we haven't uh, seen too much of Hurst. He's, he's put together about 60 snaps of indifferent play this year, mostly a tackle as a uh, replacement, some as a sixth offensive lineman. And uh, he's got a .64 aggregate score on those. It's actually 59 snaps. Uh, it would rate as a high D in terms of, of what he's done grade-wise this year. Uh, it's a little bit concerning, particularly after seeing Lamar take a few very big hits, including that huge high-low hit, uh, that uh, you know that he, he could be exposed to some more damage prior to the playoffs here. Yeah, I'm interested. I'll just echo that, but I, but I'm I'm interested to see how we scheme and how we attack the Jets with with, with Hurst in there. Um, yeah, I'll just echo that. I'm a bit concerned about that. All right. All right, now how about we go back to the play? Because I did want to talk about the one time that they ran a naked boot and went back to the opposite side of the field. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they ran this strange naked boot, and it was the uh, the one where they threw back to Brown. All five linemen were over there. Almost all of them were to the left of the numbers, maybe three or four out of five, and the others were close to the numbers. The ball went back to Brown right at the numbers pretty much. 
They had a five-on-two blocking advantage right there locally. I tried to look up in the rules because the, 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 I know the, the rules are different for who can block as a receiver, who can block downfield. But as far as I understand, they're still allowed to block while that pass is in the air and keep a defender from trying to intercept that pass, as far as I understand. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I thought in the backfield, in fact, as far as one yard past the line of scrimmage, they're allowed to block. All right, and and obviously they had a five-on-two situation there. It looked maybe like Bozeman, and I haven't looked at the all twenty-two again to, to to look exactly who messed up the uh, the block on the play. But it's obviously the one where Brown went from minus eight, so we got to be able to find that pretty easily. Uh, you know, how did that not succeed? Given it's it's not a super fast player, I believe it was Lorenzo Alexander. So it's in the middle of Q three there on that second drive, uh, who was supposed to make that. Uh, uh, who en- ended up making that tackle, in fact. Yeah, I, I was struck by that play too, Ken, because uh, I-, I remember hearing on the broadcast that, that uh, supposedly the Bills weren't fooled, you know, and when you watch it, there's two Bills over there. Everybody else except for a deep safety is on the other side of the field, and the deep safety is 25 yards downfield uh, away from Marquise. Um, so... What I noticed is there was five linemen over there, like you said, five to two. Mm -hmm. And they would seem to be watching the backside of the play. Yeah, that's right. Bozeman definitely took his eyes off the front side. I'm just looking at it. Alexander came outside the entire group of five linemen to make that play, didn't he? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... uh... That's that's a definite shame. I'm not sure if Stanley might have been responsible for that, but yeah, no, no, no. They're talking after the play. You see that. I've seen that so much before earlier this year of those two guys talking to each other after the play. And that's what I'm talking about, some of this communication and responsibility stuff. But uh, obviously Bozeman believes that Stanley should have been uh, should have been making that block. Yeah. Interesting. Marquise was not pleased by that if you watch him after the play. But you're right. Bozeman and Stanley are having a talk right there. Um and yeah, I liked the play. The play they pulled uh, Bozeman. They they, they uh, ran Ricard, uh, as I recall. If I'm not mixing plays, but but um, yeah, just a tremendous, tremendous uh, uh, missed opportunity. Yeah, it's you know what? Even though the opportunity was missed in this game, and obviously didn't affect their their ability to hold on and win this game. Very nice to put that on film because the Ravens have been run a lot of this naked action to. Uh, you know, boot right with Lamar and have the whole line over there with, you know, in the same manner, basically, where there's zone blocking to the left side to fake a run sometimes. Sometimes there's not even a fake handoff. There's not even a pretense of it. But to see them put this play on tape means now opposing defensive coordinators have to worry about that ball coming back to the left side of the field. That it's not just a unidirectional fake where the Ravens are then playing five on 11 football or six on 11 football or whatever it might be. They're playing, uh, you know, they've actually got to play to avoid the Music City miracle from occurring on a, on a throwback there. Yeah, I thought there was a lot of that in this game. A lot of that sort of with the swing passes, uh, with just a lot of misdirection backside, um, you know, mixing backside, frontside in terms of offensive line. Um, and I thought that was some of what was going on is there were some new wrinkles uh, to the play calling. Um, and I'm uh, like you, I'm glad. I'm glad that that stuff's getting out on film, and I'm glad that they're adding things. It did seem that the line, the line was a bit uh, out of sorts with those those plays. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Well, I think we've done a pretty good job in terms of, of some of the some of the individual specific plays. How about we talk about some individual skill position players here? Give them a few minutes. Give them their due. I got to start with what do you think this offense looks like without Andrews? And, and I don't I don't mean retrospectively. I'm really interested more prospectively if they had to be without him for another game. Yeah. Um, well, I, I tell you what, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, Hurst, uh, Sneed. I think we'd be I think we'd be okay for a game or two. You know, certainly we'd miss him, um, but I think there's an argument to be made that that we need to get those guys involved. To me, Hurst is a guy that could get you five, six, seven balls a game. It's just, um, you know, Andrews is the guy right now, um, and Lamar. You know, Lamar really uh, reads him nicely, and he reads Lamar nicely. But um, you know, I would not. I would not, there's a part of me that would not mind seeing uh, how we look. Now, we definitely, we definitely need help uh, in terms of the wide receiver position. But for a game or so, uh, getting Hurst more involved, Sneed more involved. Um, yeah, how about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I feel the same way. I, I think it's an opportunity to get Hurst involved, but, uh, but I'm a little concerned over what it might mean in any longer. I, I also think that a lot of their offense revolves around having three tight ends on the field at one time for individual plays. They may have to pick up another player if they were going to be without him for more weeks. So they'd have a, a third tight end, probably more of a blocker, graduate Hurst to the receiver role and basically uh, put whoever they did acquire. You know, they've had any number of tight ends that have been in here for a short period of time over the last few years that maybe could fill the role as that, uh, you know, jack of all trades guy, the guy who can who can either be a blocker or a receiver. Uh, probably in this offense, they'd have more blocking responsibilities, obviously. But uh, but you could still line, you could still line them up in the diamond formation in the backfield and uh, and use them for that. Say in the in the way Hurst is used there. Yeah, that's a good point. The um, I hadn't thought too much about how he affects uh, Boyle as a pass. Mm-hmm. That is Andrews on the field. Uh, how his presence on the field uh, opens up some things for Nick, um, and, and also you're right that three those three guys are, are uh, quite a weapon. So um, yeah, and they they have they have Ricard as well. They could put Ricard in for more pure tight end snaps, and I mean it's a it's a not a terrible idea certainly to have him in line more to block. I think he'd be very effective doing it. I, I love him. Just I love sticking him into the rig gauge with motion into a defensive lineman. I just that's been so sweet and and it's so complimentary to have him on the field and running more uh, pass routes now, where he actually threatens to you know give the rib shot to a defender and then sneaks out into the pattern where nobody's really covering him. But uh, we'll we'll see how much of a of the offense that becomes. I, I do think you know in terms of snap load, these guys have been very fresh this year, all four of them. And this is going to make them less fresh. And Ricard, in particular, has already been basically taken off the defense these last three weeks. He's only had one defensive snap. But there's not much more than they could do to keep them rested if they were to be without Andrews for a period of time. And they, they, they'd really have to change their offense otherwise to, to, to keep them well rested. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on. You want to pick a player? So Ingram, to me, is... Um... Uh, a really effective runner, obviously, between the tackles, picking up tough yards. But I've been really liking him as a pass catcher, how they're working him in more as a pass catcher. Um, yeah, I, I love I love his vision. There was one um, 
sort of mid-zone run. They, they had uh, first play of the third quarter, did a nice job just waiting and kind of cutting it back. Um, uh, yeah, I'd like to see uh, more Justice Hill, uh, more from Justice Hill, rather. But uh, Ingram is somebody that, that this, this offense obviously, obviously is uh, uh, built around, and, and he's, he's necessary. Yeah, they're very dependent on him in, in so many ways. Obviously, he's he's produced as a receiver in this winning streak in in a in a very impactful way. Even though he hasn't, he hasn't ran up a ton of yards, but he had 29, I think, receiving yards in this game. I think I'm right. Maybe it's it's approximately that, and then about 40 rushing yards uh, to go with our 50 rushing yards. So he had a, had a solid game uh, in terms of his total yards from scrimmage, about as good as anybody. But the thing that uh, the thing that I really think is maybe undervalued, Edwards. And Lamar had a lot of problems last year working with the mesh point directly. And they had some fumbles related to the mesh point of the, you know, we're a season removed and we've completely adapted to Lamar not having any fumbles anymore, not having many fumbles anymore. And he went from 15 last year. Oh. Uh, and, and, you know, that long streak to end the season of a fumble every single game uh, to, uh, you know, to, to very few this year. And a, a large part of that is Ingram. They talked about it during the game slightly the need to pull the football out of the mesh point. And the running back has to be in tune with that. And the thing they said was that Ingram told Lamar, as long as you pull hard, you can pull it as late as you want. Mm. At least that's the, I'm, I might, might be paraphrasing slightly, but that's what I heard. And that's exactly how that ought to work. Yeah, it's impressive. Sometimes you see the ball uh, from behind uh, on the back's hip, you know, hidden, obscured from anybody being able to see who has it. Um, it's that far back on his hip, and uh, and and you can't you can't tell where the football is. So anyway, very effective, and uh, uh, you know I, I love what Ingram has added to this offense. They were mess, mixed up on one play, and that has not happened often this year, right. maybe twice, where the pit for out of the pistol formation, Ingram either took the wrong side or Lamar thought it was the wrong side and turned the wrong way to to do the handoff. It creates a kind of a. Uh, Three Stooges looking um, uh, busted play whenever it happens, but right. uh, I'm sure it's not funny to them. <laughs> but yeah. uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's okay with us as long as it's a win, I guess. That's right. I think another guy that has a tremendous rapport with, with Lamar is Nick. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the reads he makes on, on his blocks. Um, yeah, Nick's a guy that's real in tune with Lamar. Yeah, I, uh, you're you're talking about when he's when he's out in front of the read option, trying to figure out do I do I put my shoulder left or right of this player? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, one of the nice things about getting out at a level two is Nick Boyle doesn't have to make that judgment as much anymore. Is that he can often take a take a a linebacker certainly sorry a linebacker even and and a, and a defensive back certainly with just you know two forward arms there's not too much that that shorter player uh who who even even single arm like this is maybe not going to be able to evade Boyle uh can do and if he if he puts himself at risk in such a way Boyle can really just push him off balance with a single arm as well so is a lot less he has to do once you get that first edge defender who's a bigger guy and a more powerful guy and this, and almost the same height as a Nick Boyle uh you get him out of the way by just having Lamar miss him it's a it's a it certainly is a wonderful play the, the read option yep the uh the uh touchdown he hit Nick on too there's it might be 90 percent Lamar 10 percent Nick but Nick's flat to the 
to the uh, pylon there. And then when he reads Lamar, you see him kind of just a little bit bend toward the uh, defender and then kind of read, you know, like I said, it's 90% Lamar flipping it over him there. But but Nick's in tune with him on that. Yeah, I, I, you, you couldn't have that kind of a basketball pass occur without the tight end at least understanding the possibility of it being delivered that way. That's I right. guess, you know, if you're Boyle, you think, okay, it might be a lob of some sort to get it over this defender. And, and then he, he reacted very well to that ball to, to make sure that it didn't hit the ground. I, I, it was actually fearful that it might. I was fearful it might, but uh, great catch. Yep. Boykin has kind of disappeared from the offense. He's one of the, the people who's worried me a little bit. 18 targets. Uh, sorry, not 18 targets. 18 snaps in this game, but didn't, didn't have a target. Uh, that's disappointing. I understand why it would happen in the wind here. I guess that also explains his less, fewer snaps uh, as well. But the last few weeks, he's really had very few in terms of actual targets. Is that Seth getting most of his reps then? Would you say Seth Roberts? You know, I really have not checked that out, but that would be an interesting question to go through. Roberts is definitely playing a lot more, and Roberts has taken some huge hits while he's made catches that I think are earning him more snaps. So uh, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if that were true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought um, I wonder about Boykin a little bit more in the slot. Um, I think he's a very effective blocker from that position, getting on uh, linebackers on the second level. Uh, he was in college, and uh, they did use him, uh, I want to say, two weeks ago there. But there are, there are, you know, I, like I said earlier, I haven't seen a slant route <laughs> in a good little while. And I wonder, you know, that's something that you would think he would be ideally suited for, but just something that simple. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a little uh, disappointing. Well, you look at his uh, two of his biggest plays this year were the touchdown pass at Miami, which was one where basically Lamar read that slot machine payoff of three players where he had two backs for the Miami defenders and, and, and Boykin's eyes were on him. And he just threw the ball up to an open part of the end zone. He knew Boykin was the only player who could react to that in time to make the play. And he did. That's a really nice play. It's a nice play by Boykin. It's a fantastic play by Lamar to read that so accurately and say, hey, if I just throw it to an empty spot, this might be a touchdown still. Mm-hmm. The other one was that was that weird touchdown, I think it was against Cleveland, and obviously a forgettable game in general, so it's going to be kind of hard to remember some of this stuff, but it was a, a, a zone block left naked boot right where six players were basically caught on the left side of the formation, or, or maybe it's just actually the offensive line now that I think about it, because I think there was no pretense of a handoff on the play. And the running back actually went right instead of left where they normally go, which means all you did was take your five linemen and make them go over the left side of the field, which is, you know, you know, they're not blocking for anybody at that point. But it was all part of an elaborate two-man rub route where they were able to get uh, uh, Boykin snuck through two defenders. He had his back to the play the whole entire time, then the ball was there, he turned. So he was clearly the intended receiver the entire way. It's just one of those great play designs I remember. So he's capable of some of these complex things. Yeah, I don't think he's a single route guy. I don't think he's an unreactive guy to the ball in the air. I think we've seen evidence of that. Uh, I think that he probably could, could do more than what they're asking him to do. That said, that said, if there's one player that could take advantage, on offense anyway, of Lamar's investment in himself between year one and year two, it'd be Boykin would be the guy to pick. Pick up those extra receiving skills. Figure out how you react to a, a pressing NFL corner. Figure out how you uh, juke a, a corner or you know give him some kind of shuffle step that will make him lose you on the double move. Uh, 
do the do the various tricks that that NFL receivers know and and maybe they don't take them for granted, but they know them after many years of hard labor. Try and try and have him get taught some of those during this offseason, which would be a great investment in himself. Yeah, I mean, it, we, he's he's a late third round pick, and it's great that he's getting snaps. And I, I, I tend to agree. I think that, that you can see uh, uh, some positive things in him in college um, that show me he's gonna he's gonna be able to um, improve year two. Um, so yeah, it's early with him. All right. Um... Let's see. We talked a little bit about where the Ravens are in terms of the Super Bowl contenders. It's really all out front uh, in front of them. The one thing that, I, you know, I'm looking at ahead, I'm going to say the Ravens are going to face some tough opponents in the playoffs. They face a couple opponents here that are not pushovers in terms of the rest of the season with Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Yeah. Cleveland may or may not be playing for anything by week 16. I don't think it matters. I think they'll play the Ravens very hard. Pittsburgh will definitely be playing for something in week 17. And the Ravens really want to make sure that game doesn't mean anything to them. In terms of seeding, so uh, very important that they that they that they do what they can to win these next two games. But looking ahead, Cleveland is a potential bad weather game. Uh, Pittsburgh in Baltimore, it's a potential bad weather game. But I actually think you know Baltimore weather this time of year is as moderate as it is almost anywhere in the NFL. Uh, you know, if you don't go to a dome or the Deep South, uh, you're in pretty good shape in Baltimore, generally speaking. And uh, uh, you know here. Uh, they'll play three straight games, beginning with Pittsburgh, hope, hopefully ending with the AFC championship. And then they'll play in Miami in that final game, we hope. And those are games where I think it's reasonable that Lamar Jackson is going to have the weather he needs to throw. And the, and the Ravens offense should be unconstrained in the way we've seen in Buffalo, in Seattle and at home in the rainy game uh, the previous week. Yeah, let's hope. I mean, the, the um, the rain he he even uh, conceded really affected him two weeks ago that sort of torrential downpour so yeah if we can stay away from that that'd be all right uh, the 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 other thing is the 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 bye week <laughs> just mm-hmm. getting that for that bye week is going to be huge for this team I'm I'm very glad that that's looking like a a likelihood so. It's a double by week if they win the next two that's the beauty of it because the seven week seventeen they'll have to play but they can rest whoever they want to. So whatever injuries they have, the game, it won't matter. Um, you know, Lamar probably won't play more than maybe a quarter. A good chance to get RG3 some good uh, extended live action in that game. Maybe see what the offense looks like. See what you can do if the unthinkable happens during the playoffs. And you have to make a move. Uh, you know, then there'll be that option. But it's really, it's it's three consecutive Sorry, a three-week period from the time they play the Week 16 game to the time they play a divisional game at home, uh, where where they uh, stand a good chance to get healthy. Yeah, that would be ide- uh, That would be really interesting. And, and there are certain teams that you um, might that might trouble trouble you to have two weeks, three weeks off. You know that stretch time. But something tells me this team can get themselves ready, and they're not gonna they're not gonna check out, and uh, they'll be ready if they get that much time off. And I think you're right. I think that would be tremendous for this team. Yeah. So they'll be they'll be practicing. I assume they'd be practicing the entire time. I mean, it's it'll be interesting to see how Harbaugh handles the schedule after week 16 if they clinch the one. There's no guarantees of that, obviously, but but they can they can do it. And if they do do it, then you know how does he reset that schedule to to decide which veterans get off to to. 
uh, maybe figure out which players are going to get a chance. I mean, you know, this could be Ben Powers' chance to get on the field and play some. Right. That'd be great. You know, I think that'd be exciting. Every fans would love it, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, it's, it's so many things that they have that they can try in that week 16 game, in that week 17 game, I should say, if they uh, uh, if it doesn't mean anything to them. Right. Right. All right. Well, usually at this point, talk about the MVPs of the game. Do you want to do this three to one with me like hockey stars? And we're just talking about the offense. There's not a, really a lot to choose from in this game, but we can we can still do it. Sure. Who do you, who do we, who are the three that you have, Ken? Okay. Well, my number three guy is is Mark Ingram. Uh, you know, I had a you know, what about seventy total offensive yards between uh, receiving and running. Uh, definitely had a, a more difficult burden than he's had because of the packed in nature of the Buffalo defense in this game. We saw just the play where Hayden Hurst beat their safeties, but that tells you about how closely they were packed in. If they got their free safety up, you know, six yards from the line of scrimmage or whatever he was, it's, it was just, it was a tough day for him to find those openings so that he can run over people, twist away, beat tackles without that, that next tackle arriving quickly. Yeah, he. I thought he um, ran hard. Um, thought he ran hard. I thought he caught the ball well. Made some big plays with the ball in his hand after the catch, and um, he's looking like a, a just a um, invaluable for this team in the playoffs. You got a different number three guy. Or you want to? You want me to just go through no, mine and I'll. That works for me. Yeah, okay. Ingram. That sounds right. Okay, so my number my number two guy is Bozeman. Uh, he, he's on a good run here, and I, you know, there's other linemen who played as well in this game, but I just wanted to highlight Bozeman's consistency these last four weeks and the fact that that he's really uh, improved his play more than any other lineman this year. Uh, I thought that uh, you know it, it certainly started the year as one of the big concerns, and I just don't feel like it is at all anymore. That's that's encouraging because you're right. That was a big. <laughs> That was a big story, and um, I have a friend who's a O-line coach, and uh, his name's Russ. Uh, he's very, very high on Bozeman going forward, and he keeps telling me, "You just wait. You just wait till next year." So, uh, yeah, I've got high hopes for Bozeman, and it's real encouraging uh, to see him uh, improved. All right, my number one guy is Hayden Hurst in this game. Uh, obviously, the big touchdown cast, but really, uh, it's moved up on the depth chart, so to speak, to take uh, that, a lot of that Andrews receiving role. Uh, I think he had three catches for over 70 yards in this game. Uh, just what the offense needed to really get over the top in this game. Yeah. I mean, you, you thought just as soon as they said Andrews is out, you know, I think a lot of Ravens fans thought, well, go, let's go Hayden, you know, and he did, he stepped up uh, and he's really been unselfish and, and uh, just a tremendous all around um, player you know and i think that like i said i think he could, he's good for five or six grabs a game um and so i'm excited about him going forward as well uh, well that's a big part of andrew's workload of course andrew's was outstanding at find finding space what i've remember what i've seen from hearst this year more than anything is he mirrors lamar very well usually at approximately level two i don't think it's really between the second and third level i think it's maybe more at the second level or between the first and second level as Lamar is booting to the right. So he knows the receiving rules of trail a quarterback to the right thing. And he's good about his timing of not getting there too soon. So you leave the quarterback then still time to toss that ball out in front of you and not have to really toss it behind you to keep it in bounds, which, you know, you see from time to time from, from receivers getting too close to the sideline on those boot plays. 
Great hands, too. Really, really yes. good hands. And you saw a play to the left sideline where he, he mirrored Lamar, uh, found a soft spot in versus Buffalo. Uh, let's see. I don't remember which play that was. Yeah, he was sitting underneath. And, yeah, it's a very similar play to the left sideline, though, when, when uh, he hit him right on the sideline. Uh, yes, now I remember it. Okay, it's so about nine yards. And, and uh, right, he was just short of the marker where he caught the that's ball. That's right. That's yeah. right. All right. All right. Well, Josh, how, do, how are we doing in the mailbag today? All right. This is your chance to steer the show using the hashtag film study mailbag. First question up is you mentioned with Ronnie Stanley unlikely to play. You mentioned Hurst. But does this open up an opportunity for Powers to get into the game? Uh, I think it's possible he could be active because it's really between him and Ronis Grasso. I don't believe they they really want to let Grasso be active. He played a game last year, was not up to it. This may honestly be a pretty big indication of where Powers is in terms of his practice time, whether or not he's on the active roster for this game. If he wasn't, I think that would be a pretty bad sign. All right. Where, where are you, Tim, on that? Anything to say about that? Uh, no, I'm, I think that makes sense, what you said. All right. Uh, I noticed the Bills were doing a decent amount of holding to prevent the IOL from climbing. Uh, has that been a common thing teams are doing? Do you want to start, Tim, on that? I have to watch that. I did not notice that. And, uh, no, I have not noticed that in terms of prior games either. Uh, I, 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 Starla Tulai got called for it in this game. So he was number 98 for the Bills, got got called for holding a receiver and uh, – sorry, for holding a, a lineman from getting a level two. I noticed on Twitter today that Jonas, Jonas Schaefer of the Sun was going back and trying to find other plays that were like that. I'm embarrassed that I wouldn't pick that up in going through and scoring offensive line play. But then in thinking back about the mechanics of how we do it, you know, my first concern is – did a body get stuck on a body? If it is, the block's probably okay, and it gets the full score. So then I move on. But I'm not really looking for the when a penalty didn't get called because defensive holding, frankly, is fairly rare by line in the NFL. There's certain players who got called for it more than others. Uh, the guy who I really remember was the, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, Casey Hampton, got called for it a lot uh, back in the day. But uh, but this has been a fairly rare thing. And, and for I think Jonas said was was – banting around Twitter clips, and they had about three of them uh, uh, stored up. So I'll be eager to read his article tomorrow. All right. Uh, Bart wonders, I haven't seen many deep shots to Hollywood recently. Do you think this could be injury-related? This is just the weather for the past two weeks, right? Yes. Yes, I think it's the weather the past two weeks. What do you have to say about it, Tim? I'd like to see more. Uh, we'll, we'll see You know what's go what happens going forward. Um, I'd like to see him. I was talking about the idea of when he gets off coverage on early downs, often 12 yard cushions, just getting him the football, um, just on a little two, run a little two step, three step slant or, or hitch. Um, and I think that the, the offense or the Ravens offense feels they can get five or six yards on the ground. So why worry about it? I think that's the deal. But I, I, I do agree we need to get downfield uh, with uh, Marquise. He is. Uh, being sent downfield. He's just not being targeted a lot. All right, and it looks like the, the weather for Thursday is cold, 37 degrees, but it looks but like it's the only day that's clear this week. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, that's that's exciting. And that, that 
that if that bothers a football player and and you know it could still but if that really is bothersome that's a problem if the offense can't function at its normal high level in that kind of weather that would be that would be bad sure um all right uh with andrews most likely out who steps up of the tight ends we, we kind of covered some of this in the show, so I'm not sure we need to do okay. it again. I think Hurst moves up, but I think there is a question, particularly for, for multiple weeks, about how they pick up, maybe have to pick up another tight end to fill the roster and, and, uh, and take some of that snap load away. Right. All right. Then uh, let's close it with Alex. I hear a lot of people complaining about the Ingram direct snap with Jackson motion out wide. When we move LJ out of the backfield, we lose the lateral threat he possesses. Uh, what, if anything, do we gain? Start us off, Tim. Yeah, that was a head scratcher, but but it does put it on tape. It does. If you like, if you if you think Ingram might be able to throw the ball to a tight end out of that formation, maybe on first or second down. Uh, but yeah, it was a bit of a, a head scratcher. I, I thought as as. Odd as that seemed, the very next play was brilliantly set up, orchestrated, and called. And um, so, that was that little jump pass to Hurst, a uh, oh, yeah. to Boyle. Yeah, yeah. What set the way that they set that up and cleared that side of the field even was beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, I, what I wondered is why wouldn't you motion Jackson on a play like that? Now, obviously, you've got various things you can do, in, but it seems like motioning through the backfield is the normal wildcat thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, to not do that kind of does limit your options in what Ingram can do. And, he's you know, he's perfectly good at running effectively what is QB power and finding a hole. It's just, uh, uh, you know, it's – you'd like him to have another option even if he maybe wasn't going to use it no matter what. Right. And why wouldn't you squeeze RG3 onto the field for that so you at least have a guy that can throw the ball? It's, good, it's a good question. Could he All run right. a wildcat would be one thing, yeah. All right, well, that does it for the mailbag. Uh, Tim, tell people again about your YouTube channel and how people can go check that out. Sure. The channel is Edgar Allen, A-L-L-E-N, and uh, it's for Ravens fans. Um, and we just try to t- look at uh, uh, sometimes what seemingly inconsequential plays, sometimes uh, big plays, but very often just a, a drive or things that uh, I find interesting that, that might not make any kind of a highlight reel. All right, and then you're also active over at Purple Flock as well, yes. right? Part of that community as well. All right. It's a great, great community over there, Purple Flock. You want to talk a little bit about them and how why, how you decided on that message board? Because we've partnered with them. We're hoping to uh, increase membership over there and hopefully get discussion going on, on uh, our articles and podcasts there. Right. Uh, they were uh, a splinter from BaltimoreRavens.com. And I was with them uh, and they splintered off and it started off very small and it's been gradually growing. But but what I like uh, is there's a lot of very, very clever um, folk over there, very astute kind of football uh, minds. And uh, pretty it's a pretty genuine community, too. Uh, folks are very, um, I don't know if warm is the right word, but, the, you know, as you stick around long enough, you develop relationships with folk. Um, and, uh, I really enjoy, um, being part of that community. Um, and I love it, love it, love it around draft time. Just tremendous, really a lot of good takes and a lot of good, uh, scouting eyes, if you will. And, uh, it's really enjoy it. 
Yeah, good good size community. It seems to be fairly troll free over there. I, I I guess no element is completely troll free, but it's nice to see one where where people are generally just getting along, and there aren't you know a few negative personalities dragging things down. It seems like they have pretty strict requirements about not starting new threads and working within the existing threads, but that's cool. I think you know focusing that conversation is good, and actually probably generates more reviews and 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 re um, back and forth. You know, get tennis ball bouncing on uh, on opinions if you've got less threads to do it in. Yes, I think so. All right, Ken, and then filmstudybaltimore.com. Anything special, different this week? No, really all the normal stuff. It looks like we may not have a Jets guy for Know Your Foe. I've been I've been really trying at this, guys, and, and it just happens to be that a 5-8 and eight team is not really excited, right. uh, you know, to, to, to spend extra time on somebody else's quote-unquote podcast. Uh, you know, out of division, it's probably a bigger difficulty to get that person lined up. So I've been trying. I haven't got anybody yet. I'm going to still keep trying and see if we can get somebody uh, by tomorrow night. You know, it's not impossible because I got to go in a couple weeks on a on a uh, Angels podcast to talk about the Orioles. So there are still people that want to talk about horrible teams. <laughs> Um, oh come on, the Angels aren't that bad. No, I know. <laughs> uh, Ken, what is our schedule going to be like following this Jets game? As far as so, podcast release, do you have it planned out yet? Yes, I do. So Friday we'll be recording the defense. On Saturday we'll be recording the offense, and uh, uh, we'll then have the Know Your Foe episode at some point the following week. And I'm not sure the exact date, but uh, but that'll be the, the the general plan to do that is Friday and Saturday night for those two podcasts. All right, so a little a little different this week where we'll get you some podcasts during the weekend and probably some extra shorts to fill in for that week. Uh, work week as you're waiting the the long stretch after the Thursday game. Yeah, I would think so. We got we got kind of a backlog of shorts, and we'd love to hear your ideas for them. We'd like to like to uh, stockpile them for the off season and do them now if they're really timely. Uh, so please give your ideas to us. All right, guys. Well, we will talk later. Thanks, Dad. Birdland Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.